as we know and as we've been taught here in this church, we know that our religion is not necessarily a religion, not only a religion of outward works, of a show. It's also one based on a pure heart and pure thoughts and pure motives and a pure heart. Amen. Um, and that's what we'd like to speak on today, me and James, uh, James and I specifically. We would like to share with you what the Lord has laid on our hearts concerning this matter. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. God knows our thoughts. God knows our intentions in our heart. So it's therefore imperative that we make sure that our thoughts in our mind and that the contents of what we think about are in accordance to God's word and what he would have us to think about. Uh, turn to Proverbs 16.3. Proverbs 16.3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Amen. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. There's something in there that we are supposed to do, an action that we are supposed to do before our thoughts can be established, and that is that we commit, commit our works, commit our thoughts to the Lord. Turn to Psalm 10.4 for me, please. I'm just building a, a premise of, of why we are speaking on this tonight and why the Lord led this on our heart. Psalm 10 and verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. That defines a wicked person. So let's today, let's, let's think about what it means to be a righteous person and have God in our thoughts. No matter if you're old or young or if you're my age or if you're younger or if you're older, this is something that we all need to deal with every day is have our thoughts in subjection. Amen. Um, I ask you all to please turn to Philippians 4.8 for me. This will be the main, the main portion of what we'd like to speak on tonight. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest... Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is towards the end of the epistle to the Philippians, and this is how Paul wanted to end. He wanted to leave them with the kicker or something to remember. A, uh, a good speechwriter or a good a good speaker will know that their intro and their conclusion are especially important when giving a speech. Well, Paul was writing a letter to them, and he wanted them to think on this at the very end. He said, finally, this is, this is one of the last things I have for you. Listen up. Think on these things, these eight things. James and I would like to remind us all of what it means to think on these eight things. I will take the first four and just quickly expound on them true, honest, just, and pure. And then he will follow behind me and finish up the last four. We'll sing a song and then we'll go home. 
So first, what does it mean to think on things that are true, on truth? Well, truth is defined as being in accordance with the actual state or conditions, conforming to a reality or to a fact. It's fundamental. It's fundamental to our faith that we know truth, because if we don't, if we don't know the truth of God's word, how can we defend, teach, or merely believe it if we don't know it? How can we do those things that we're, we're commanded to do if we don't know God's truth? If we don't set aside time to study and to read and to apply these things to our lives, then we're not going to know. So again, it goes back to the, the verse, you've got to commit your ways unto the Lord. You've got to commit to want to know His truth. This is essential to our lives as Christians because this is what our faith is built on, is God's truth. If we don't have that, then we might as well just pack up and go home. We all know that our God is a God of truth, and as his people, we should be conforming our, our thoughts and our lives to what he to what He defines as truth, not what we think or not what we define as truth. In the midst of a perilous time where most Christians like to have their ears tickled with fables and lies and things that just make them feel good and not necessarily what God has commanded. So this is where we must draw a line and say, no, we need to hear what the Lord has for us from his word and not the fables of men. As Psalm 10.4 stated, God is not in all their thoughts. And as I said before, is God in our thoughts? Is God in our thoughts on Monday after Sunday? on Thursday after Wednesday, or even the rest of the day after you have your devotions in the morning or at night. Is God in our thoughts? Is God in your thoughts? He should be. If he's not, there's no reason to think that you're a righteous person if God is not in your thoughts and he's not the motives for your actions. Please turn to Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. This is a familiar verse. And none of what we're saying tonight is going to be new stuff. This is all stuff we've heard before, but it's stuff that is, there are things that we need to hear and remind ourselves of. Acts 17.11 These were more, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were good ground. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Amen. Does anybody remember who was actually giving them the words, giving them the, the preaching? Paul, Paul, gifted by God, direct revelation from the Holy Spirit, yet they still searched out what he said to see if it was true. That should be us, because we definitely don't have that kind of person giving us, giving us the word of God. Somebody as an apostle that saw Christ risen and given a direct uh, order to preach that way. So we should be noble. We should be searching out what is the truth, what is God's truth. That way we know what we're building our lives on and our church on. God's truth in His Word should be one of the first things we think of because all of the other words in this, in this Philippians 4.8 build on truth. You can't be honest. You can't be just. You can't be pure. Think on things that are lovely, of good report, without first knowing what the truth of God's Word is and what it says. Last point. God is, God's truth is not, not figured out. We don't figure out God's truth. It's given to us. God reveals it to us. Yes, we do our due diligence. Yes, we study. Yes, we put in the time. Like the verse says, commit thy ways. You've got to study. But it's not of any grand idea that we had. It's nothing that we do. It's all a gift from the Lord. And that should be a motivation in itself to want to learn more, to want to keep it, to want to hold tight 
to want to buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. That's what our, that should be a big motivation for us right there, knowing that the Lord has shut the eyes of others and He's opened our eyes. It's not because we're brilliant, not because we're smart. It's not figured out. It's given. And we should be thankful for that gift and hold on tight to it and never let it go. Now I'll move on to honest. Honest. You might ask, what? how is honest different than truth? How do you think on things that are true and then think on things that are honest? Uh, they're very similar, but think of it as truth is a concept. Truth are things that you can know. Honest well, it's defined as being honorable in principles, intentions, and actions, upright and fair. It's basically the personification of the truth. You're living, living in light of what the truth of God's word is. Um, we can know something is a true fact. We can know, oh yeah, that is what God wants us to do. We should do that. We should not do that. But that doesn't help us at all unless, unless we live it, unless it's according, unless we live what is according to God's truth and we put that to practice in our lives. If you look at Romans twelve seventeen, Romans twelve seventeen, it says, "Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men." See here, this is something that we can do in the sight of men. We can be honest, and we should be living honestly, outwardly, because of the truth, and because that's our motivation inwardly, and because we're thinking on those things. So what, how do you know if you're living a, a, an honest lifestyle? How do you know if you're, if you're obeying the, the word of the Lord, the truth? Well, love of God and love of others. Those are the two main commandments that we should be following. If we know that we're following those two commandments, loving God and loving others, then we can assure ourselves before him that we are living an, an honest lifestyle. If we truly love God and we want to please him, we're going we're gonna to want to follow his commandments. We're going to want to learn more. But how are we going to know unless we took the time to read and to find out what his truth really was? That again goes back to the diligence that we have to, that we have to put in to knowing what the word is. That way we can follow it. Going back to truth. Um, the, referencing the good ground that we heard on Sunday, this is just a, a couple of verses before uh, what, we, what we heard. It's, a, it's Luke 8.15, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with repentance. And if we look at Second Peter 1, 5 through 12, we, we understand, and we've heard this before, that if we do these things, we shall never fall. We can assure our hearts before him that we keep his commandments. So that's the difference between honesty and truth. How do you, it's, honesty is living in light of the truth of God's word. Next is just, um, just, and I found the, defi- the definition of trust is guided by truth, reason, justice, and fairness. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting how Paul mentioned truth first, and that's that's the foundation of everything that we're going to be uh, reading in the next and the rest of the verse: true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. And so, just is being guided by truth, guided in judgment in our decision making. How do we know that? Abortion is wrong. How do we know that evolution is not correct? How do we know that Christmas isn't necessarily a holiday we need to be celebrating along with Easter uh, on this time of year? We can make all these decisions uh, by being just and following after truth. 
We must base all of our reasoning and all of our purposes on what God defines as truth. This is more in-depth than just merely knowing what the truth is. It's you got to make a decision. you got to know what, how to put into practice God's truth. Paul reminded Timothy of this very fact in 1 Timothy 6.20. It says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. The context here is Paul telling Timothy how to, how to explain to their church members how to, how to lay hold on eternal life again. It's how to, how to make sure that they are children of God. And then Paul says that some have actually gone astray and followed after these vain ideas, these ideas of men that have, that have crept in. And if we don't decide, if we don't set ourselves on the just and true word of God and base our judgment on what the Lord defines as truth, then we're going to fall astray just like they did. We need to make sure that all of our decision-making, all of our actions are decided by what God defines as truth. Uh, the last the last descriptive phrase here that I'm going to cover is pure. Uh, what does it mean to think on things that are pure? Well, the definition is free from anything different, inferior, or, or a contaminating kind. In other words, free from sin. Think on things that are free from sin. Let me ask you something. Do you want to see God? Amen. Do you want God to show himself to you, and do you want to see him? Well, turn to Matthew 5, 8. I love this verse. It's short, sweet, and the Lord gave it to us for an encouragement. And, to, and the simplicity of the Bible is just amazing. The Lord is great. The Lord is fantastic in how He just simplifies His truth for us so we can live it and love it. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How simple is that? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That should be motivation in itself to want to have a pure heart. Now, the Lord knows that we're going to fall. The Lord knows that we are not going to think on things that are pure. That's just a state of our human condition and being how we are. But the good news is that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us pure again in our hearts in John in 1 John 1, 9. And thankfully to the Lord, when He died for us, He made us pure before God eternally. And so when God looks at us, He sees, our, he sees the pureness of Jesus Christ. So that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about purifying our thoughts in our heart. Thinking on things that are pure. As I said, he does, not, he does not expect perfection, although he expects us to try. And when we do fall, when we do fall, we have to confess those sins and, try and rededicate our heart and purify it and follow him again. Uh, James sets up this perfectly. Uh, in James 1.27, it says, uh, if you flip there, James 1.27, I just want to show you this. We've heard it a lot, but... Again, it's a, simple, it's a simple definition of what the Lord defines as religion and what he wants us to do. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, 
to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Right. Unspotted. Visit the fatherless and widows. How, how easy is that? How simplified is that for us to know that that is how we should have our hearts pure and how we can know that we have pure religion? In Titus 1.15, it says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Their mind and their conscience. We want our inner voice, our conscience, the way God speaks to us today and convicts us of right and wrong, we want that to be pure. We want our thoughts to feed, to feed purity to our conscience. Otherwise, we're going to cut, the cut that, that voice of the Lord that He gives us about right and wrong. After a while, we're going to sear that. We're going to sear that. And then we won't be get, we won't be getting the, the Lord speaking to us through it. And that's a scary place to be when the Lord leaves you. We don't ever want to come that close. We don't ever want the Lord to not speak to us because we have done something to sear our conscience. And so in order to stay away from that, we must consider where we are in the world, uh, where we allowed places to feed our thoughts, whether it be movies, whether it be music, whether it be places that you go, whether it be friends that you have. We must always be thinking and considering is this feeding my conscience good things and pure things, or is this going to sear it later on? We need to be thinking on things that are pure. In James 3.17 it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. If we want God to impart wisdom to us, yes, the verse in James said we should ask and He'll give us liberally. But as we know and as we've been taught recently, all the promises in the Bible aren't to everybody. The Lord's not going to impart wisdom to somebody who's not giving heed to His commandments and doesn't have a pure heart or is not trying to be pure. We should be wanting to seek after the Lord and to try to purify our hearts and then ask for Him, ask for His help, and ask for wisdom. Um, and the Lord will give it. That's the exciting part of having a, having a pure heart is the Lord will give you wisdom. The Lord will impart all this, all the knowledge and He'll speak to you and He'll impart wisdom to you. And that should be enough motivation in itself to want to have a pure heart and pleasing Him. And so let's make sure that throughout our lives, and especially tonight and tomorrow morning as we, as we have these things fresh in our mind, that we make sure that we're feeding our mind and our, and our conscience pure things. And we're, and we're basing all of our judgments and our thoughts, and we're living in light of God's truth that He's given us. Those are the first four, true, honest, just, and pure And now I'm going to turn it over to James. He'll get the next four for us, and then we'll be led in a song and a prayer, and we'll be dismissed. I'd like to reiterate our thankfulness for this opportunity. It's a great privilege to speak before you. Uh, It's a little nerve-wracking, but I'm not up here because of my great uh, speaking ability, obviously. So I'm very, uh, very excited about what we have to bring before you. So far, it's been great. Thank you, Stephen. In the next few minutes, I'll be speaking to you about the next four uh, concepts from Philippians 4, 8. I'm going to be speaking on things that are lovely, good report, virtue, and praise. I'd like to remind you, as Stephen did when he started, that the world and our flesh and the devil are constantly bombarding us with things to think on. 
whether you think about the nation, the economy, inward thoughts, anything, fear, sorrow, bitterness, you name it. There's all kinds of negative thoughts that we can have and dwell on during the day. That's all around us, and it's within us. There's lots of different things that we can think on through Scripture that can encourage us. The good things from this verse, uh, if we dwell on them, will help us to maintain a godly attitude and will help us to encourage ourselves in the Lord when we are brought down by wicked thoughts. Um, you know, it's not enough for us to be convicted on Sunday mornings alone. We need to have an independently spiritual mindset. Paul said that we are to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In Psalm 119, David declared that he hated vain thoughts. In Proverbs, we're told that the thoughts of the righteous are right. And Psalm 94.11 says that the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Naturally, our thoughts are worth, worth nothing in the sight of God, especially. So what are we thinking on? Let's examine the last four concepts in Philippians 4.8. I'll start with uh, whatsoever things are lovely. Lovely is defined as something that's exquisitely beautiful. It's kind of interesting. Um, the word lovely only occurs four times in Scripture. So we'll look at what's beautiful. What's described as beautiful in Scripture. Psalm, 90, uh, Psalm 29, excuse me. Psalm 29, verse 2 says to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Do we ever think and meditate on this as we sit in the assembly of worship or when we worship Him in private? It's one of God's character traits, His holiness. So, of course, it's going to be beautiful. Amen. There's another, another thing that is described as beautiful. The virtuous woman from Proverbs uh, 31 says her price is far above uh, rubies. And they're very beautiful, precious stones. What about our words? Can they be lovely? There's a verse we know very well from Proverbs 25.11 that says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And more importantly, actually, I think the best point, we can think on the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that He is altogether lovely. He was and is perfect in every way, from His work on earth to His work as our intercessor in heaven. Let's think on these things. Next, whatsoever things are of good report. What is a good report? It's basically a good reputation. We can apply this to ourselves as individuals um, with a verse we know very well as well, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And we can also apply this to our thinking on those who are examples to us from Scripture and from even within this congregation. Romans 16 is a good example of, of Paul. It's full of names of saints that Paul is commending for their works. In 1 Timothy 4.12, uh, Paul exhorted Timothy to be an example to believers and to not let anyone despise his youth. So it's just as applicable to me as a young man as it is to an older member, to be a good example, to be a man of good report or a woman of good report. What about virtue, if there be any virtue? What is virtue? I like this one a lot. Virtue can be defined as moral excellence and righteousness or goodness. It's the rebellion of our flesh and Hollywood that loves seeing uh, the bad boy, the dirty Harry, who likes to go his own way, lives by his own code, crosses the line between good and evil, whenever he pleases. But we are to live by righteousness, brethren, to love virtuous men and to think on things of virtue. Virtue also has another meaning in the Bible. 
Virtue can also mean effective power or force, such as when Jesus was walking in the throng of people and the sick woman touched his garment and he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. Well, how can we apply this? What's the most effective power or force that we, as his children, have in our possession except for prayer? We cannot go to prayer half-heartedly or wavering. James tells us that. James tells us not to think that we will receive anything of the Lord if we don't have faith in prayer. So let us go boldly to that throne, believing the virtue of prayer. Let us think on these things. Lastly, if there be any praise. Praise is offering our admiration of something or someone, an expression of our gratitude and love. We're to love the praise of God. He has been so good to us, sometimes it's hard to know where to start. He deserves it and He commands it. There's some men that we're not supposed to be like. In John chapter 12, we're told that many chief rulers believed on Christ. They actually believed Him and on Him, but they wouldn't confess Him because they loved the praise of man more than the praise of God. Are we like them sometimes in certain areas of our life? Would we rather have men praise us than the Lord? I like a comment Brother Nathan actually made last Sunday about God bragging about Job and how Nathan's desire was to be living in such a way that God would brag about him. Let's think on the praise of God, giving him all the glory which he rightly deserves anyway. Any good thing that we have or done, it's all from him anyway. Do we love to praise him in song? That's what we're going to be doing for eternity. Might as well start loving it now. Do we love to praise him in prayer? Or do we just ask him for things? David praised and thought on the praise of God often in the Psalms. If you will, please turn to Psalm 148. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons, and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is, is excellent. Amen. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Right. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Amen. Do we think on praise? Do we glory in it? Do we love it? Let's praise Him because He's created us, brethren. He hasn't just created us. That would be a reason enough for us to praise Him. But He's also chosen us. He's bought us. He's made us accepted. And I'm excited about this last one. He's coming back for us. Tonight we've considered all eight aspects, concepts from uh, Philippians 4.8. We started with truth, which is the foundation for our lives. Honesty, which is living in light of that truth. Just, truth-guided decision-making. Pure, things set apart, free from sin. Lovely, things of beauty according to Scripture. 
Good report, thinking on good examples and being one. Virtue, moral excellence, and effective power. And praise, finally. God deserves it, and we should love it. Thank you. Amen. Brother Daniel's going to come and lead us in the doxology, which is uh, number three in the Burgundy Hymnal, if you'd like to stand. And then Lewis is going to close us in prayer. Number three. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that we can call you Father, that you adopted us, that you chose us for nothing that is in ourselves, Lord, but of your own goodwill and pleasure. And we thank you that you revealed that to us and that we know it and that we can praise you. Thank you for sending your son and that he has opened a new and living way into your throne room and that we can come boldly before you in prayer, Lord. And we we know that you will hear us. Amen. And that you will take ear to our petitions and answer them, Lord, yes. because you desire all good things for your children. Lord, this night we've heard a great teaching, Lord, from your word to control our thoughts and to aim them in the correct direction. Lord, I ask you to help us to apply that to our lives, to keep us convicted, Lord, to not let any pricks that we are blessed with, Lord, pass by the wayside, but that we would make changes and that we would stay diligent, and that we will stay focused on what is just and pure and lovely and all the rest of that list, Lord. Be with us the rest of this night as we depart home. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.